back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined by college hockey correspondent for InsideHockey.com and our regular college hockey correspondent as well, Chris Lynch, who was at the Frozen Four. We're going to go through that. We're going to go through everything that's coming up in the offseason and talk a little bit about the new coach at Merrimack. This is Puck University. Chris, how you doing? I'm great. I'm glad to not be in a place where the air is trying to kill me with cold uh, and where the people are. Uh, if you've never been to Minnesota before, go to the great state of Minnesota. They have wonderful people up there, and uh, it's a lot of fun, and they know their hockey very well. They're great fans up there. So go to Minnesota. Just go to the state of Minnesota at some point if you never have before. And of course, congratulations to the national champion, the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, who took the Frozen Four as the last team in to the NCAA tournament. It's a great story, and it's a great sign of how of how tight everything is in college hockey, of how the parity is kind of incredible at this point, and it's a great a great story for them, especially since they lost in the national championship game last year to Denver. No shame in losing to Denver. I think they're one of the best college hockey teams ever assembled. But they lost, and it was a heartbreaking way for them to lose. And they came back. They lost, I think, five or six seniors, and one player left early. Two players left early. Their goaltender and Neil Pionk left early, and they had five defensemen and a new goaltender. And they went out and won the national championship after kind of a crazy run. So just all kinds of respect to Duluth for the run they went on. And Scott Sandlin, uh, he's he, I don't often hear Sandlin floated as one of the best coaches in the nation. But two national championships this decade and the job he did with Duluth this year, I he's got to be regularly mentioned now as one of the elite college hockey coaches. And what a run they went on in the Frozen Four itself, never really having that comfortable of a lead. On on Thursday, they had the early game against Ohio State at the Excel Center. Yeah, and uh, I thought Ohio State would end up pulling off the victory. I, if you remember back to the preview podcast that we recorded here, I actually predicted that we would get an Ohio State versus Notre Dame matchup, and that Notre Dame would end up winning the national championship. Obviously, I was wrong, and uh, obviously I did not think highly enough of the real incredible opportunities for uh, uh, that those five Minnesota Duluth freshmen on the blue line did, and obviously I did not think well enough of, of Hunter Shepard and Nat or uh, so just – Incredible job by uh, by Duluth the whole way through, and they had the lead, but they only allowed twenty shots on net in both games against both Ohio State and Notre Dame, who can both create some real offense. It's it's kind of incredible the way that they ended up winning the whole darn thing. I think it's the more you get into hockey, the more you follow hockey, the more you learn about defense because. Everything else is very easy to understand to even the casual fan. The offense and scoring and passing and setting up shots is pretty easy to get. And, of course, the role of the goaltender, 
there's it, it you only really need a set of eyes to see how important a goaltender can be to a hockey team but the way a team plays defense on these in the highest level when you get to these tournaments when you get to the frozen four it really often comes down to the blue line and not so much your goalie stopping shots as the defense limiting them and putting the goalie in the best position possible. And goodness, did they do a good job with that? Because whenever Hunter Shepard saw pressure, he mostly made the saves. The only two times that he got beat in the two games in St. Paul, Ohio State had a power play. And Tanner Lazinski, who is a high, high caliber shooter, high caliber scorer, he, they, he, they, he got enough space after a fluke broken play where a stick broke on an attempted pass at the blue line for Ohio State. And Duluth failed to clear it. Lazinski fished the puck out of his own corner, curled up to the circle, and fired it through, through Shepard. And it was a great play, and it was a, it was a well-earned shot for, uh, uh, for Lazinski and a well-earned goal for, for Ohio State. Got them on the board, down only, only one goal. I don't think they allowed another three shots on net for the remainder of the game after that point because they scored that goal with about half of the third period left. I think they only allowed three shots on Shepard for the rest of the game, and he did his job and stopped everything else the rest of the way. And then in, uh, in the Notre Dame game, in the championship game, a power play that only scored as a result of picture-perfect Irish passing that got the uh, that got the puck through and Shepard did everything but stop the puck on the last opportunity to to let it go through. His blue line, particularly Scott Perunovic and uh, uh, and Louis Rail, did an unbelievable job of pinching at the blue line, having great stick checks, stopping people in their tracks and. It was it's a frustrating game, and I imagine how this is what fans opposing the New Jersey Devils in the late '90s and early 2000s always thought, and how frustrated they got playing against them. Because me, without having a uh, a fandom in in this at all, I was kind of frustrated that Notre Dame wasn't able to generate anything because they have really good offensive talent, and they just couldn't find a way through. And it's the most frustrating style of hockey. But it's also an incredibly effective style, and I would like to see more people do that. I I even know there are New Jersey Devils fans who could not stand watching the trap. It it's just it's not the most visually entertaining style of hockey. It works. It works to great effect, especially for those Scott Stevens teams that we're referencing, and it works very well for for Duluth, but. It's not the most visually appealing style of hockey by any stretch of the imagination. It can be frustrating to watch. Even when it's the team you're rooting for, it can be frustrating. Yeah, but you know, those guys on Duluth don't really care because uh, they got to send their seniors out winning a championship. They got to send everybody out with a uh, with a resounding victory, and they, they uh, finished up their year as both national champions, and I often uh, heard some people joking, Big Ten champions for that, quote, joke of a conference compared to the powerhouse of the NCHC, as was deemed, which I don't really think is a fair description of the Big Ten, 
but is certainly a fair description of the NCHC that they are at present the juggernaut conference. This is the third year in a row. North Dakota in 2016, Denver last year, and Duluth this year. This is the third year in a row that an NCHC school has won the national championship, and they're all different schools. Yeah, they're, they've really established themselves as the power conference in college hockey, and those comments about the Big Ten just go to show you that the presence of the Big Ten, it is here to stay, but it's going to be a long time before long long-term college hockey fans truly accepted, especially in the upper Midwest where it caused so many schools to change their conference affiliation and to change really the rivals they had. So it's not necessarily very popular in the upper Midwest. And especially among, for example, Minnesota Duluth, they're happy to be in the NCHC, but it did best with a lot of old rivalries, and I'm sure it was very cathartic for fans to watch Minnesota Duluth go through both Big Ten teams in in their game. And speaking of the Big Ten, there was quite a game in the other semifinal between Notre Dame and Michigan. We haven't talked about that one yet, but what a game it was and what a finish. I've said for a while that one of the best things about the Big Ten existing is that you do get some traditional college rivalries and you might get some people who will really start to care about college hockey because the schools they know are playing it and are playing it at a big level. Case in point, Michigan and Notre Dame, who I'll just go on record. I did not think the world of Michigan because uh, I didn't think they would make it through I Northeastern in the regional. I didn't think they'd make it through BU in the regional final, but uh, Mel Pearson is going to win a Penrose at some point in his time at Michigan as the nation's best coach. Like that, that's going to happen at some point. And they played tight. Those teams got after it. There were some hits. There were a lot of goals scored. Notre Dame showed their resilience and it was a, it was a game worthy of being a championship-level game, and uh, it reminded me a lot of a year in 2014 in Philadelphia when the uh, when Minnesota and North Dakota played, and Minnesota scored with 0.1 seconds left on the clock before uh, before expiring, and Justin Hall scored to give to, to give the Gophers a championship game appearance against Union, so. Great game and a worthy uh, demonstration of that's what Big Ten hockey can be at its best. And I hope that people jump on and at least appreciate the fact that we're going to get some great hockey out of the Big Ten in the future. And we already have so far. Notre Dame was not far away from winning the national championship this year. Well, when you look forward to next season and just moving forward in general in college hockey – it's not just the Big Ten, although maybe the Big Ten's existence helped pave the way for this. There is a parity in college hockey, and it's here to stay. When we're talking about who might do very well next year, there are more teams that you could pencil in for a possible Frozen Four run next year than there are spots in the next NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an exciting time to be a part of this because – just taking a look at the bracket and at the teams who were at least very close to making it through to the Frozen Four, or just let 
just taking a look at the bracket at the start of it, Minnesota State Mankato almost beat Duluth in the first game that they played this season. Northeastern almost took down Michigan in a tight battle. Clarkson, if they had generated just a hair more offense, might have made it past Providence. And Michigan Tech was a fraction of a second and a broken stick away from beating Notre Dame in the first game of the tournament. And then Providence was milliseconds away from taking down Notre Dame and going to the Frozen Four themselves. And if BU gets a couple more bounces therein, and Duluth almost lost twice to Mankato and then to Air Force in the regional final. Every team that was in the Frozen Four had to overcome some crazy difficult opponents. And Ohio State, if they don't get a couple bounces going their way in that third period— they're looking on the outside as Denver solidifies themselves as a legitimate college hockey dynasty in uh, in the back half of this decade. So there's such unbelievable parity at this point. And that point was made by all the coaches at the press conferences this year because, you know, everybody is getting pretty good. Everybody has some real top-level talent, and everybody is a worthy competitor in the sport. So. If you're just getting into it right now, you picked a great time to join into it because, goodness, this is fun. And you made a point in the last podcast that it's not just Hockey East being dominated by BUBC, Maine, and New Hampshire anymore. There's a lot of schools that could throw their hat into the ring and really make a run at it now. And I think that's great for the sport. Yeah, in Hockey East, the recruiting's just getting better and better across the board where you're seeing these these prospects that are NHL caliber going to schools where 10 years ago they would not have they might not have even considered going to those schools and suddenly you have a Hobie Baker winner at Northeastern University. You have a Providence team that was able to win a national championship and they're right in it every year now in Hockey East. You have a UMass Lowell team that's been dragged by a great coach in Norm Bazin to a great spot in Hockey East as well. And that's something else. We talked about it last week with the Penrose Award. There are a lot of great coaches in college hockey right now, and they're with programs that are very fitting for what those coaches want to do moving forward. So that that's a big part of the puzzle in college sports is getting not just the a good coach, but the right coach. And I think a lot of schools have the right coach for that school. Yeah, I mean, Northeastern certainly has their guy. BU and BC have their guys. Duluth absolutely has their guy. I hope that Jim Montgomery sticks around Denver and uh, continues because I've heard his name floated in rumors of going off to the pros. I think last year with the Panthers, he was – uh, one of the last guys who was interviewed for the job before uh, before he ultimately didn't get it and returned to Denver. But uh, he's a high-caliber coach and the right guy for driving that machine of a hockey team. So it, it's a lot of fun getting to be a part of it. It's maybe not quite as much fun actually being the coach because there's a lot of pressure on you to get it right every single year, and there's a lot more teams – that have those expectations of going out and really winning. It's not just North Dakota, Minnesota, Denver, Michigan in the West competing for championships. And it's not just BU, BC, and Cornell competing for championships in the East. There's Lowell. There's uh, there's Harvard really competing. There's 
Dartmouth potentially making an outside run at the ECAC. There's Union winning a national championship recently, and Yale, and Providence, and Duluth becoming a powerhouse in recent years. And it's a lot of fun and very exciting time to be a part of this whole thing. And the, I'm not sure how the parody could get any better than it already is, but I mean, there is, I think, going to be a perception that if you're not in the NCHC, you can't win a national championship. But we had points earlier on in this decade where if you weren't in Hockey East and weren't BU or BC, you couldn't win a national championship. So that'll change. That'll come with the times and the rhythm of the sport will change as time goes on. I think it was only a couple of years ago that Hockey East had as many of six teams that were under consideration to make the NCAA tournament. And that's how quickly this can change. There's That's part of parity, and that's part of how many schools are just great at recruiting, that a few good classes here and there, and it looks like one conference is a powerhouse, but then you look around the landscape of college hockey and – we certainly haven't heard the last of David Quinn at Boston University with the recruits he pulls in. It only seems like a matter of time before they're back where they were in 2015 looking at a possible national championship. There's Jerry York, who at this point we can't even we can just pencil Jerry York in for being the coach of a scary team every year because, well, he's college hockey's winning as coach. And that's just in the east, and you get out out west possibly because of how good the NCHC is, every one of those eight schools could just go ahead and bring in a couple of guys and win a national championship. And that goes all the way down to Colorado College, who was surprising this year. And again, it only really takes one or two good players, and they get on the right run at the right time, and the goalie gets hot, and suddenly you're lifting a trophy. Yeah, it's that's how tight everything is. I mean, even the Big Ten had three teams in the tournament this year and every game was close and they skated well. I mean, Notre Dame was not that far behind. If they had either just as much on the blue line as, uh, as Duluth, then they very well might've competed. I mean, I think they had the best goaltender in the whole tournament. And if I may just for one moment, return to the frozen four for a second and point out the one thing that I think they got wrong on the all tournament team uh, Hunter Shepard was voted as the uh, as the all tournament goaltender. The uh, he made the all tournament team as the goaltender. I think that is completely wrong. Not to speak ill of Shepard because he had a great run and you know he was the winning goaltender in a national championship game, but he was not the best goaltender on the ice for that game by any stretch of at least my imagination. Kel Morris was. 33 saves and did everything he possibly could have to keep his team in the game. And he was not the reason why they lost that game at all. So that's the only thing that uh, I just have to note and say that I think they got wrong. Everything else, completely right. Carson Coleman deserved to be the tournament MVP and uh, everyone else on the all-tournament team deserved it. But Shepard, no, great goaltender, was not the best goaltender in that tournament. Sorry for the non sequitur, but I just had to throw that out there for uh, for thought and consideration. Well, when you get to tournaments and these all-tournament teams, it's really hard to not award almost everything to someone on the team that wins the tournament itself. And it gets it, it can lead to some of these, these um, 
I don't know if I would say getting it completely wrong, but get it going a little overboard on just giving everything to the team that won the actual tournament. And I think that just happens in hockey tournaments, especially when Kale Morris did win the Richter award. I understand that bit. And I know that, uh, I've kind of been on the Kale Morris hype train for a while, and I'm going to continue being on the Kale Morris hype train for as long as he's playing hockey, either in Notre Dame or in the pros somewhere. But I genuinely think that he was the best goaltender in the tournament. And I know he didn't win ultimately, but he was tested with 35, excuse me, with 35 shots, saved 33 of them. And did absolutely everything he possibly, even remotely conceivably, could have to try and keep his team in in the tournament and in the hunt for winning a national championship. So that's that's my only complaint about the way the Frozen Four uh, bidding went for all that stuff. And even with that, Shepard was great, and uh, he made all the saves he needed to in the games that uh, mattered the most for the program. So. I think that just continues to show how tight this sport is right now that I think they got it wrong. And yet I can't not speak ill at all of the goaltender who actually won the thing that we're talking about here. So we're getting, we're at the end of the 2017, 18 season, I guess in a sense, this is our season finale for puck university. We won't be here weekly, but we'll still do specials throughout the summer. We'll still talk about, we'll have one for the NHL draft, for example, and it's great impact on college hockey. And it's the only draft I like. It really is. It, it's the only one that's worth talking about. But as we set to wrap up the 2017-18 season, Chris, you've covered a ton of college hockey. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if there are five people who have seen as much college hockey as you have this season. You've been to arenas all over the place, especially in New England, but you were also at the Frozen Four. What is going to be your lasting memory, your lasting takeaway from this season of everything you've covered? Well, just to fill in a little bit for perspective, I went to every single Hockey East venue, including Maine. Uh, I went to uh, I went to a bunch of ECAC arenas, including RPI and the few things that I'll take away. Number one, UMass Amherst is going to be scary good in the next couple of years, and Greg Carvel is going to win a Penrose. Just that playoff series between Vermont and UMass Amherst at the Mullins Center, that is one of the overriding memories that I'm going to have, and I got to see what I really do think is the birth of I can't believe I'm saying this, but the birth of a potential college hockey dynasty in uh, in Amherst. I really do think that uh, they're on the verge. All they need is uh, for their goaltenders to uh, to improve and make a couple more saves. And I think they're pushing for uh, for hockey East titles. That's number one. Number two, David Quinn and BU getting some revenge against BC and Providence in the hockey East uh, tournament. Number three. Notre Dame being absolutely resilient and Bridgeport being a fun place for a tournament. And finally, the state of hockey, it is an apt title for the state of Minnesota. And it is uh, it is a great place, a great setup. 
with wonderful fans and Duluth deserves their championship. They're the best conference right now. And they're the best team right now from the best conference. To sum it up myself, I, I've been watching almost entirely as a fan. And I think everyone knows where this is going at this point. It's kind of my season recap for Northeastern as someone who's rooted for that program for a long time, went to Northeastern from 2001 to 2006 during mostly during the Bruce Crowder era, which if you don't know, don't learn. It's just a sad story, folks. But having watched it and went through it, let me just list off as a fan of almost every sport who has a favorite team in almost every sport. The seasons that I would rank above this just as a fan following it. 2004 Red Sox, 2013 Red Sox, 2002 Buccaneers, and I'm not sure I can put this year's Huskies over any other experience as a fan I've had. That That's how good that team was and how much fun they were to follow and how refreshing it was to see what Jim Madigan has truly done to that program as they took the next step. They passed the bean pot. They have a Hobie Baker winner to their credit now and Adam Gaudet, and he really earned it. So... As a fan, I I don't think there's any competition for my takeaway. I cannot believe that Northeastern is here, and I can't believe that this isn't just a one-off thing, but it's not. This is a program that's going to keep competing for things. It's going to keep bringing in some top prospects. We saw it in Caden Primo this year, and they've got some more guys on the way. Watch out. When we get to the draft, we'll talk a little bit about Zach Solo. He should be drafted this year hopefully by a team on the west coast of florida where he's from you know just just a little bit of a hint there and that that's my takeaway from the season i just as a fan i don't think it it would have been nice to win more but i couldn't ask for more and it's a well-deserved it was a well-deserved trophy and a great team and it really is a shame that uh they didn't get the opportunity to compete for more than what they did but you got a lot to be happy about, and I think they'll take one tiny step back next season, but they're going to they're gonna compete for a long time in Hockey East. And I think, I've, I think Madigan should have won Coach of the Year in Hockey East this year. So, But, you know, you don't always get that. But it was a great run, and uh, they don't crack my top marks because there were so many of them that I got to experience and be a part of. But that was one of the coolest experiences all year of watching Northeastern solidify themselves as a championship contender. And now, well, the college hockey season has come to a close, unfortunately, but it's still playoff hockey season as the NHL playoffs continue. As analysts and writers, we're going to get to do something that really only players occasionally get to do, and that's go from covering the Frozen Four straight into covering the NHL playoffs if you want to hear if you want to read Chris Lynch's thoughts on the NHL moving forward, he'll be doing some NHL playoff content for us at Sports Talk Florida. I'll be covering the Lightning throughout their playoff run that begins Thursday night against the Devils. And it's it's kind of exciting on that end too to see well, I'll be seeing Will Butcher in his pro uniform just a year after he won the Hobie Baker. So, you know, hockey marches on. Yeah, it's a it's a weird time, and there's still going to be some stuff to talk about for the uh, for the college hockey world because 
there'll be recruits coming in. There'll be draft picks. There'll be players maybe leaving early. There, Merrimack just hired a brand new head coach, and uh, you know I'm sure that there might be one or two more coaches moving or more jobs accepted. So. There's a lot more to talk about, but this really is a great time of year to be a hockey fan because you get the most beautiful thing in the sports world, playoff hockey. I mean, we just had a whole bunch of it in Minnesota, but why not more? It's it's always the first part of my pitch to a hockey fan that doesn't follow college hockey. You love the playoffs, right? Imagine if playoff hockey started in February and just went on through till June. Oh, wait, it does. <laughs> exactly. If you follow college hockey, the playoffs really start. Now, granted, it helps that we both went to Beanpot School, so we're talking about this with the Beanpot as the start of what Jerry York calls trophy season, but it really does continue all the way through the NHL playoffs with very little in the way of a break, and you don't have to deal with shootouts. You don't have to deal with ties anymore. They just play overtime until someone scores. And if you're a fan of one of the teams involved, good luck, because there is nothing more draining on the fan than playoff hockey. Agreed. And, you know, it's – but there's nothing more rewarding than when your team wins. It's heartbreaking and backbreaking. And you, and you question your life choices when your team loses. But when you win, you understand completely – and it's complete jubilation and bliss. So that's that's the double-edged sword of the whole thing. But uh, it's a great time. And I need to note uh, before we close up here that, as I alluded to, Merrimack College has a brand-new head coach for their hockey team. And uh, it's a well-deserved hire. Do you mind if I go ahead and give a little bit of the details on him? Yeah, that would be great. I wouldn't want to forget that. As we go to the offseason, we should just keep moving forward, and this is a good way to do it. Okay, so the man of the hour in North Andover, Massachusetts, is a fellow named Scott Boric. He's a 55-year-old guy originally from Swampscott, Mass. He played college hockey at Dartmouth in the early 80s, and he uh, unfortunately he wasn't able to continue on his career playing because he had a neck injury in his junior season or uh, in his sophomore season. He had his playing career cut short. He became a student assistant and uh, graduated with an English degree from Dartmouth, so decent hockey player, knows his stuff, and also, you know, a tough degree from an Ivy League institution. Uh, he went to Providence, then to Brown, then he was the head coach at Division Three Colby for a while. He got an assistant head coach at Lake Superior State, spent one year under coach Jeff Jackson before Jackson left, and uh, Bork took over as the head coach at Lake State. Didn't have quite the same success as uh, Jackson did with the Lakers. Oh, well. Uh, went to New England College for a year and then had a long tenure at the University of New Hampshire from 2002 to 2015, and actually helped the Wildcats reach the 0203 National Championship game against the Golden Gophers in his first year as associate head coach under Dick Umillian, had that role for a long time, uh, joined Providence after the 2015 season, and has been with them ever since. So they are getting a guy who knows Hockey East, who does have some perspective of coaching from other places. He was with the CCHA for a while. He knows his hockey. I think he'll be a very good fit with Merrimack, and I hope that uh, he can 
really make something of that program because I think they could be a very competitive and dynamic team in Merrimack. They draw enough recruits. I think they could be essentially a slightly smaller UMass Lowell and really be competitive. But it'll depend on what Coach Boric is able to do with, uh, with the resources that he's offered at Merrimack. Well, they were put in a very good position with Dennehy's tenure, getting them from what used to be kind of an afterthought of a doormat in Hockey East to the school that at least you don't want to go on the road to Lawler Arena anymore. You don't want to go to Merrimack because that'll trip all sorts of teams up. And it's become one of the harder places to play in Hockey East. So he did a lot for that program, but when they looked at changing coaches, a lot of people talked about taking the next step and making Merrimack into a team that can really make a splash in one of the tougher conferences. So that's going to be, well, it's a tough act to, it's a tough thing to do, but we've seen it in hockey before, and we've been talking about the amount of parity in college hockey. Why not Merrimack? And I, I think that a lot of the people affiliated with the Warriors can look around the college hockey world and say exactly that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good hire. I, I still have my questions as to how they handled Dennehy's situation and Dennehy will get a job somewhere. I think he might take some time off because Merrimack still has to give him severance pay and he still had a couple years on his contract. So in terms of pay, he's fine. And I kind of expect that he'll take some time off to, just breathe and uh, collect himself. And then the second a job opens up, he's the first guy that people are going to hire to either be an associate head coach to get his legs back under him or to just be their head coach and hit the ground running. Uh, Dennehy will be fine, and he will turn the next program he's with into a winner. I have no doubt about that at all. And There is some real pressure on Borek to follow through and to give some real potential. Because you're right. Don't go into Lawler Arena with a winning streak. Don't go in there with an important game on the road because they have embraced playing spoiler. And that is the most dangerous opponent you could run into. One that knows that uh, a lot of people don't think highly of them and they embrace it and they, they roll with it. Merrimack almost beat BC in the playoff series earlier this year. And BC was the first place team in the conference this year. There's a lot of talent on the Warriors' side uh, so best of luck to Coach Bork moving forward. Well, I'll say this to close out that in Hockey East, when you have that reputation as a school that teams should get past, should beat, and they kind of have that doormat background and they have that chip on their shoulder, that's the first step. And the next step is doing what happened at UMass Lowell and what happened at Northeastern and started bringing into recruits and start to beat the teams that expect to beat you. And it certainly happened in many places across the country in the WCHA. That's almost the position everyone's in. So there's, there's a lot to be done, but it can be done. And we've seen it throughout college hockey in the last few years. So Merrimack could make their run and it will be interesting to see what they do with their next coach. This has been Puck University for the 2017-2018 season. Chris Lynch with InsideHockey.com and doing NHL content for SportsTalkFlorida.com. Where can people find you on sport, social media? You can find me uh, on the Twitter at CC Lynch Wall, all lowercase. And yes, the last 
Uh, part of it is spelled Wall, W-A-L-L. Inside story, I'll tell maybe some point later on. And the uh, uh, Instagram handle is cclinch16. Now, those are where you can find all my socials and all the stuff that I do. And we will be back throughout the offseason, maybe not weekly, but we'll be giving you some updates on what the college hockey players do when they get to the pros and how they're making a bigger impact on the NHL than they ever have before. We'll talk about the NHL draft. We'll take some questions and give you the best answers we can come up with. It's going to be, well, we're going to get through the offseason together, folks, and enjoy the NHL playoffs. Enjoy the nicer weather that's coming to everywhere in America. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Williams. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. That's two S's in a row between rights and sports. And you can follow my Tampa Bay Lightning coverage throughout the playoffs. I have a playoff preview up right now on sportstalkflorida.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Puck University for 2017 and 2018. As always, keep your head up and your hits clean.